it's it's circuitous, right? That so that's what I would say. That's the silver bullet. The silver bullet is like keep following the magic words and showing up when it doesn't work. where we peel back the bullcrap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. I started my formal coaching training in 2004 and since then in those 18 years a lot of people in those trainings with me have moved on to a different path to coaching even since the training I did in 2014 or so including the event at which I met today's guest. Many of the aspiring coaches in that room seem to have fallen by the wayside. And I'm delighted that today's guest has stayed on the path. If I were to describe her in three words, I thought of this, there was three words that jumped out to me. Um, of course, three words can't really do anybody any justice, but for her, they are mother, smart, and heart. And as I was writing that, uh, there were there's so many others, gardener, life, lover, intimacy, relating. Um, that's no surprise given her work is all about embodied wholeness, intimacy and authentic relating. She brings a refreshing honesty, humility, humanness and compassion to this profession. All that this podcast is about and uh, that's why she's somebody I've wanted on this podcast for quite some time, a few years in fact. Maybe there's a little story around that. I think there was just some messages that got lost. Um, gosh, we're finally here. So I'm so I'm flipping happy to that she's agreed to be a guest. I've, I've brushed off this coaching life podcast mic. I <clears throat> had to relearn my intro and get back into the radio voice. So uh, yeah, a very warm welcome, Kendra Cunoff. <clears throat> Hello. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was um, honestly I was glad to hear that one of your three words wasn't authentic. Uh, because while I do <laughs> hope that I am authentic and I do hope people see me that way, it's one that I hear a lot. And so it was really, there was something refreshing about the words that that you chose. And I um, actually feel very seen mm. by those words. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll often suggest to clients that perhaps um, this is how the, the condition of being human is. I'm all about loving being human um, and I think perhaps at times our inauthenticity is our greatest um, aspect of being authentic. <laughs> Indeed, that's just one of those mm -hmm. kind of ironies and paradoxes of, of being human. So, yeah, we, we met, I think, uh, I don't know if it was in London or in L.A. I know we were just talking about that, but um, that's like eight years ago. I'm pretty sure it was, a, I'm pretty sure it was 2014. Um, I'm curious, mm -hmm. like what, because that feels, I don't know about you, that feels like a long time ago, right? Eight years ago, that feels mm -hmm. like a long time ago. But I'd love to, just as some backstory, what got you in the room? Like, how, how did you get into coaching? If we go back a little bit further, how, what, what's like your personal story of the introduction into coaching and then what got you in that room? Yeah, I mean, I will, I'll just start by saying, there are ways that that feels like yesterday, you know, I'm like, gosh, it seems like just yesterday that I was spending a lot of time in LA. And then another way, it really does feel like another lifetime. And especially um, that particular time period, it was, it was like a re-entry 
into coaching for me, uh, which really came after my second child was born. And so my daughter was about, you know, a year, a year and a half old. Um, and there was this reignition. So I'll, I'll speak in a minute about what got me in that room and just sort of say like my, in a way, I would say I fell into coaching um, or like tripped, like I tripped into it more than, than really directed myself, if you will. Um, and back in about 2005 was when I started facilitating with my, you know, then boyfriend, now ex-husband. Um, and we were teaching a program called the Authentic Man Program. And it was really through that, that, that any kind of, you know, what I would quote unquote call coaching came in, but I really started with facilitation, um, which I would say is still my first love, honestly, <laughs> like moving people around a space and with each other. Mm. Um, I want to just comment, by the way, just because I, I, I love that then, I think even, even then there was that thing about, it wasn't just about coaching per se, but it was, there was an aspect of, you know, I guess coaching is one of the tools. That's what I've realized. Like, I don't even like to call myself a coach anymore. I, I don't put a label on what I do. I'm really just present with people and help them to create what they want to create. But coaching is one of the tools that I use. But I do remember just listening to you. I remember, like, we only met in person like that, that, that one time at that event. And I know we've spoken a few times. We spoke a few times, I think, after that. Presence. I do remember like sitting opposite you and just really feeling how present you were, which I'm guessing also comes from the work that you had already done. Mm. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that there's a big, and, and honestly, that was so much like, it, you know, this is a lifetime journey, but so much of my love of humanity really came from the work that's, you know, started more like in 2005 and kind of consistently coming up against people that immediately I would decide I didn't like. Hmm. Like I would walk in the room and I'd be like, I don't like him and I don't like him and I don't wanna work with him. And um, consistently I would have the experience that I would have some, there'd be some experience where I would actually really fall in love with that person. And I'd be like, oh, I like I, I actually get what this is and i and and here we are now connected heart to heart and now i love you you know so um i think that helped a lot mm. yeah yeah thank you for that thank you for that so um yeah you said you you kind of tripped into coaching i don't know whether i heard <laughs> the completion yeah i, I, I mean that to, felt like i know i interrupted it was well it was really my you know my boyfriend at the time and his and his business partner who were starting this program and they asked me to be a part of it. And then from that, people would ask about one-on-one -on -one coaching and I was sort of like, Oh, okay, sure. I'll try that. Um, and, and that, you know, and, and, and so I, I sort of did a little bit of, of each for a while. Um, and then it was interesting. So I'll, I'll say at the time that you and I met, we we met within a community that seemed at, at least to me at that time to have a sort of a bent towards 
one-on-one coaching is the way to make a lot of money, you know, and I wouldn't say that people there were all about making money, but it was definitely a big conversation. You know, it was sort of this, like, if you're struggling, here's how not to struggle. And it's definitely one-on-one clients. And, um, and I didn't really want to work with one-on-one clients. I, I really, it, it took me a little while to get there. You know, I was like, okay. Uh, and I did a lot of the things and I think they were very good for me in terms of having a lot of conversations and, and, you know, and really working in that way. But it really also brought me back to like, no, what I love to do is work with groups, what I really love to do. And, um, and at this point now I do, I do both and I actually love both again. So it's sort of like this spiral, the spiral journey, but it, I, I think to your original invitation around this that there's something in that, that like, like following the spiral rather than an idea of like, this is what I do, or this is the way to succeed, or this is what a coach does, or this is what I'm good at, or, and, and, and coming to any of those as solid facts that will be lasting is sort of detrimental, you know, not only to, to our business, but just to ourselves as humans. <laughs> And I would suggest that, I mean, I, I, I share with you, I've done a, a lot of, of training and, and some of which I felt, mm, and it's felt really icky, but I've still got <laughs> what I'll call perhaps tough value out of so much of it. Like there's, to me, there's no, there's no uh, greater teacher in life than, than experience. And indeed success, if you like, is a very poor teacher. So um, you know, that, that whole exploration all different kinds of events and trainings and what have you. Um, that's what, I don't know if it's the exact event that where we met, but I went to basically an, an, a repeat of that. And from there went, then went to a, a, a Robert Holden event, which was so, so, so different. And then suddenly mm. I felt like, ah, oh, I'm home. There's this, because there was, there was no focus on, on money as such. And um, it was really all about, actually the the event was like five days hundred or so of us in a room for five days diving deep into what was success for us like who does that who flies across the other side of the world spends five days diving into what success is and of course at the beginning everybody had kind of different versions there were some common themes but at the end of the five days almost everybody's version of success was a, a, a version of like you know really spending time with loved ones and living from the heart um, being connected to people that they really care about and of course we get to do that in our work like how cool is that it's so funny that you say that too because just my um, and, and partly when we were talking in the beginning, I was thinking about this, but my daughter, who's now nine and a half, last night as we were going to bed, she was like, but mom, what do you do? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know how to answer that question. Like, it's late. <laughs> and then she said, well, what do you like about your job? And I said, well, I really like the people that I work with. Like, I really love them. And, and I said, you know, I talked to someone today and I, you know, and this is what I love about them. And I talked to this person and this is what I love about them. And that's kind of to your point. Like, I, I really like the people I work with. <laughs> and I, I know it's like uh, just just this morning talking. So what are we? We, oh, we are just a month in or three, three weeks in uh, speaking to her this morning. And, and there's that. Um, 
I'm noticing oh, I'm falling in love with this person. Just who they are. There's, I mean, that's not a romantic or a sexual thing or anything like that. There is this purity of falling in love. And, and again, each time, that, each time I come across that, I kind of chuckle at that, that all this conditioning that we, we have, out, a story around, around love. But, and I'll often suggest, again, to clients that without any stories of love, we would freely express love like to everyone. So it, it, I love that you even brought that up. That, you know, you, it's so easy just to fall in love with people when you deeply connect with them. I guess we're so blessed, I guess. It's just so, so blessed. And, and come back to that point as well, like, yes, even at those events, oh, be clear on what you do, helping people go from A to B and you sell the bridge and all of this kind of malarkey. Like, it's really only the last couple of years I've started realizing the feedback I get from my clients is normally a version of, I got the most from just being with you just mm-hmm. just being with you sort of spending time with you um and maybe that that also comes from <laughs> uh it's it's gonna sound really icky and cliche but any the that the we are i feel like i'm much more me <laughs> allow myself i'm mm-hmm. much more me than i've ever been i really like me more than i ever have in my life so I'm probably uh, much more, much more loving. At the time we met, I know I was trying to be somebody because I thought I had to be X, Y, and mm-hmm. Z to 10X and all of that malarkey. I had to be this kind of coach. And I'd done a lot of coaching before that. And I think probably there was this period where my coaching was this least effective. Um, mm-hmm. do, do, really just through trying to be somebody and yet touched on authenticity I think perhaps authenticity is not trying to be somebody and so Mm -hmm. um, yeah I think we we really sense that and get that when we're with somebody who is just showing up as they are I really get that about you yeah I mean and it's so wild because I um I mean, talk about the spiral journey and there's this, um, I'm pretty sure it's on this comedian's podcast. His name is Mike Birbiglia and he does a podcast. He started a podcast through the pandemic and now it's kind of one of the things he does, but he does this, this question when he asks these questions and one of them is something about um was there like can you recall a version of yourself in your past that was really not you like when was a time in your life when you like did a thing you know I mean I think about and there's so many and it's so fascinating like how those parts also make us right like I when I was like um I don't know 12 maybe or something I I took on a fake British accent I don't know why I don't know and it wasn't entirely, it, but I would say things like, like, instead of saying trash can, like I would say trash con. And I was like, that's just how I say it. You know, I'm like, God, that must've been really annoying to be around. <laughs> like didn't fool any, I mean, it was just like bizarre, but it's sort of all these phases of our life where we're just trying on like, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And then we're, and, and I think partly, you know, hopefully maybe it's like, hopefully, through the trying on, we also discover like, oh, there is a little something there, but this part, you know, we'll set aside. And like, this might be an outfit that I put on every once in a while, but this is like what's underneath or this, you know? Um, And so I think it goes to what you said at the beginning, which is even the inauthenticity 
I think is part of our becoming as humans. And, and some of it is like what you said, which is like the tough lessons, but some of it is also, it, it just is part of the process. It's sort of like, oh, I had to try that on to find out that it's totally not me. You know? <laughs> right. I, I, I think if, if, if I hadn't have gone to the previous event before like the Robert Holden thing, I, the mm -hmm. contrast wouldn't have been so profound. Mm. You know, and so there was things that I got to see, like at that, at that particular event, that particular Robert Holden event, that were just so glaring to me because of because mm. of that contrast. So, just so so blessed and grateful <laughs> for it all. Uh, so cliche, isn't it? This whole thing around self discovery. Um, yeah. So, so if I've heard correctly, it was a reinvigorating perhaps of your enthusiasm for coaching and working with people that that got you in in the room could you tell us a little bit more about that well it was it, it was um I mean part of it wasn't that I had lost interest per se but I had uh had my first child mm -hmm. and and then my ex-husband and I had separated and he and I had really you know like created a business together and both in terms of just stepping, I was stepping, you know, he and I were separating. And so I kind of stepped back from the business and I stepped back from our whole community and I moved and I spent a lot of time with my very small child running around after him. And, um, and so it, it, again, it was sort of this, it, it, it was more like I stepped into other things. And then after I had my daughter, there, I felt this spark to re-engage my work life, like whatever that meant, you know, I don't have the best words for it. And it was like, well, what do I want to do? Well, I, I did like that, you know, or I think I was good at that. Um, and, and through that, I got reconnected with the person who was leading those events and they ended up inviting me to a previous event that I couldn't go to. Um, but I was listening to the recordings from that event. Mm -hmm. And I had this, like, I mean, very profound. I had a couple very profound moments listening to the recordings of this event. Um and one of them, I mean, it was like clear as day. These words just came into my mind. I was like, I need to be in that room with those people. And I think that that, for me, that's so important. The distinction that wasn't, I need to study with that teacher who I love, you know, dearly in many, many ways. And I'm so grateful. Um, but it was, I need to be in that room with those people. And at that time, I mean, again, I was a solo mom of two kids. I, there were two separate fathers. There was a lot of juggling of schedules. Um, I had, you know, basically no money. <laughs> and it took a lot to get in that room with those people. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it took a lot, like, a, I don't know, the price was something in the realm of $1,300. Like that was a lot yeah. of money. Um, the plane ticket was a lot of money. I stayed with friends who ended up also going, you know, like, and, and so like just figuring out and, and sorting out, I mean, I must've written a document that was like five pages long about my children so that they were handled for like the, you know, the five days I was, it really took something to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Gosh. So that's what got me in the room. Mm. I'm curious, what have you really learned about you from, again, from, from contrast? Like, like for me, I can just share with you, there's a lot of stuff that went on there. It was just intense, like really, really intense. And um, mm. not really my game, very light, very lighthearted and uh, gentle. And um, so I'm, I'm just curious what you've seen, because I think you've eased much more into um into you they can't use the phrase again um since then so can you tell me a bit about that um yeah i mean i stayed in that community for a lot longer and and i think again that phrase i mean who knows maybe it's hindsight but in that room with those people is there are there are definitely people that i met that i you know consider lifelong friends same here yeah um and in, in so many different arenas, some of it is, is lifelong friends. Um, and some of it, it, you know, I met John Wineland there and he and I ended up teaching together for five years and we're teaching together again now after taking a year off. And, you know, honestly, not only is he like a dear colleague in that sense, but there's like, I feel like we're family. Mm. Um, and that relationship was born out of that time. Um, and then it's through, I mean, it's so interesting because I actually look at my life now and I'm like, oh, and then I, because of that relationship, I met this person and that person is now dear to me in this way. And, you know, I ended up working with Teo for a while and he's a dear friend. And then I've ended up referring a lot of people to his work who are also in my, like, there's this, there's this like ecosystem that I kind of feel like got created and that, and that again, kind of like trying things on and taking them off and, you know, and throwing spaghetti at the wall and saying, oh, maybe I'll teach this and maybe I'll try that and maybe I'll do it like this. And and through all of that being like, oh, this is how it all comes together. Um, I hope, <laughs> I hope I have enough humility. I'm like, I think I do. I, I think I have enough humility to not assume that, you know, right now I, I it's like the first time I really feel like I've landed on, oh, these are the things that I teach. And these, you know, this is how I work. Like, this is the ecosystem of my business. And this is, you know, again, I mean, I would just say for anyone listening, it's like, we could say I started in 2005 and that would make this what, like a 27 or no, a 17 year arc, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, or we could say I sort of restarted in like 2014 and that would make this like a six year arc. Like both of those are long. Those right. are long arcs. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, you know, just sort of think like if you're in year one or year two, like, great. So here's Kendra, you know, in year six or year 17, however you want to count it <laughs> going like, oh, this is it. Um, this is actually the kind of rhythm that I like in my life and in my year and in my days. And, um, but like I said, I think, you know, having watched myself go through those cycles so many times, I'm kind of like, yeah, and that could change again. Like it feels really good to settle into this for now and not not be like constantly tinkering with the mechanisms, um, but to recognize that in a year from now I could be like, oh, actually, you know, I drop this and this arises, and I really want to create this, and I no longer do this, and that could happen. I've noticed that the thing in my life that has the biggest influence over my business and indeed my life and my relationships is my energetic relationship with my business and my energetic relationship with life generally and what have you. And uh, like I've had periods of um, like 
nothing going on as far as business development goes, like for months, for months at a time. And I felt, also felt, yeah, I'm not really in love with it anymore. And then <laughs> the first time I went to Bali, this happened like in the final months there. And then I came back to the UK and I was euphoric about being here and really started falling back in love with my work and just loving connecting with people and um, clients just reconnecting out of the blue, people I'd never spoken to um, just connecting with me out of the blue. I'm kind of wondering how that is for you because it feels like, yeah, there's this constant spiral. Do you, do you notice yourself like falling in and out of love with with this work i mean what how would you describe like your energetic relationship with mm-hmm. with your work i love that as like a like the energetic relationship um part of what's true for me is that i am like and then i and i can look back on my life and i can actually see how this was true in totally other phases is that i i'm i'm kind of multi interested if you will so uh you know in my early 20s like i was a nanny but i was also an executive assistant for like an attorney that worked for francis ford coppola and i really loved having very different you know i'd go over here and it was chaos and dishes and wiping butts, you know, and I'd go over here and it was like organization and filing documents and like, (laughs) and I, and so I've kind of created my business like that. So like I'll lead the no man diet as a 12 week program that has very clean, you know, like every week it has a certain thing and it, it runs the same way every time the people are different. You know, I still get to bring unique energy to it because I still show up live, but like the content is, is set now and it's a very specific container. And then I have one-on-one clients that it's like, what do we want to talk about? You know, um, and that might ebb and flow, right? I'm working with a couple and how it is to work with the couple is so different than how it is to work with this one woman, you know, or like there. And so there's a lot of flow in the, in the one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, right now I only teach one in-person event, but you know, it's always been interspersed with some in-person and, the one that I stick with is also like very, you know, always happens at the same time. It's always in the same place, but what is going to happen there is like, I get there and I'm basically like, I don't know, what are we going to do now? Um, it happens to be an outdoor event and it's on land that I feel very connected to. So I, I, I actually just sort of go and I like ask the land, I'm like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I think that for me, and I I don't think this is true for everyone. Like sometimes I think it's very important for, you know, some people it's really important to focus and that's actually what serves the energetic relationship. Um, but for me, I think what serves my energetic relationship is kind of knowing like, oh, like I've told some people sometimes, especially people that don't work in this arena, actually, like I have a therapist friend and I'll say like, oh, the no man diet, you know, I make this much money on the no man diet. And she's like, oh, you could run two of those a year, you know, or three of those a year. And like that would, and I was like, yeah, but I would like, oh my God. I was like, I just hear you say that. And I kind of want to like, I would hate doing that. So I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So I guess my response to your question is sort of like, I think it's also discovering how do we nourish our energetic relationship with our work yes. 
And, you know, I heard you say like, there's something around connecting with people, you know, for me, definitely a piece of it is around this things changing throughout the year um, that, that keeps that like spark alive, if you will, between me, me and me. <laughs> I think there's also, I wrote, I touched on this in something I wrote a little while ago that, that, that I, I've noticed I can definitely have this tendency to do that whole spiritual bypass thing as in like, Oh, you know, this is, this is about me and it's all down to me and grip my teeth through my, um, grip my teeth and try and cope with, um, an environment kind of in quotes, because there's a whole, you know, and just an environment that is not conducive and nurturing to what I want to create in life and you know much more now recently when i say recently i mean over the last few years um i'm much more willing to say oh fuck this i'm out of here kind of thing it's like i think it's really important to uh, I, I guess because a, a lot of my um coaching exploration has been um around what we might call an inside out understanding whereas mm-hmm. we are also in this energetic relationship with everything everything that's going on and so like and we know that we can walk into a room and just sense like something you can just sense the energy in the room and some people obviously have my, my, my partner is just like super super sensitive in that respect mm-hmm. me definitely not so much but i'm i've i've learned again the hard way to actually get a little bit more um honest and less tolerant actually mm-hmm. become less tolerant of what isn't an, a nurturing environment whichever we, whatever we really mean by environment well and yeah i mean it's like whatever we mean really comes again down to the individual mm-hmm. Absolutely. and and I, I i think it's so relevant what you said about that sensitivity because it it, it, it is just saying like maybe there's nothing wrong here but it's not nurturing me Exactly. And if I'm the only person in the world who doesn't feel nurtured by this environment, it's still true that I don't feel nurtured by this environment. (laughs) And so, you know, then, you know, to me, the question becomes, what do I want to do with that information? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's changed the, you know, like go to Bali, which it sounds fantastic. (laughs) Um, You know, or people, what is that? Like, like, I find that there's a in my own life, and then a lot of people I have conversations with, it's sort of the weave between changing our environment and um, and not, not trying to make something that's not nurturing, nurturing, but what is already here. Um, I read a quote not too long ago that said, if you can't be on the land you love, then love the land you're on. Mm-hmm. that I thought is also so important about like, okay, well, can I, can I, can I love and be loved by this place? Even as I also seek to create the conditions yeah. for my thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's true both in what you talked about, which is location, like that literal, you know, like I do not thrive in the desert. I mean, like I go to Arizona and I'm like, people should not live here. <laughs> like this, <laughs> this is unacceptable. Um that there is some truth to that we belong to certain places, I, I would I would say, and so the the physical environment, the kind of home, the kind of re, you know intimate relationship, the kind of community that's around us, the kind of 
you know, just the way that we, that we set up space around ourselves um, is important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned the word thriving and you've mentioned, yeah, the no man diet. Mm -hmm. So how would you describe your uh, relationship with money in your, in your mm -hmm. coaching business? How, how has that whole piece been for you? Yeah. I mean, again, I would say it's definitely a spiral, you mm. know, it's definitely like, um, go, you know, going around and touching on things at different stages in different ways. And I think for me, it was really important to, to, like address money head on. Um, it had definitely been partly through my, just my family. Like no one in my family has a lot of money. Um, and I would say one part of my family like does just fine, but they're very like in the United States terms, you know, they're definitely kind of liberal. And, uh, and so like having a lot of money, not generally considered like people who have a lot of money, you know, aren't generally the ones that we're looking at and going like, you're a fantastic human. Um, <laughs> and then on the other side, like very poor, like I was raised very poor. And so there was a lot of both kind of avoidance and shame. And then like, la, 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 you know, like, mm -hmm. let's just pretend like it's all, you know, la, like this. And, and so, you know, part of the spiral for me really has been going like, oh, I, I would like more money than I have. I would like to make more money than I ha have. I'd actually like to, um, I mean, the word luxury came up for me at one point. And again, it was one of those like cringing. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not like, eh, I can't say that I actually want luxury in my life. Like that would be an unacceptable desire. So just to meet that head on ha has been part of my journey for sure. Um, and for me, you know, it's so tricky because I just think it's never one or the other, but I was, I definitely had some spiritual bypass in the, like, it's not about the money and I just love people. Um, mm. Before I really met money head on. And then I could say, like, it's a little of both. Like, would I, would I, like, if I never had to make money, would I do this? Absolutely. Like, I love, I love people. I love what I do. Um, and, and somehow finding like the correct intersection of those and, and, and being honest about, you know, like, what a good life for me costs and what my values are. Um, this is kind of a tangent, but I'll just say it because I think there's some relevance even to people who don't have children. Like part of where I've bumped up against this is like when I was growing up, uh, you know, there was a lot of things I didn't have because we like literally didn't have the money. And then the truth is like my kids ask for shit all the time. And I'm like, no, but we have the money. And so there's actually like a different orientation that I've had to come to around like, what do I say yes to? And what do I say no to both for myself and for my kids when it's not because we can't, it's like my daughter wanted a, a 15,000 sticker set 
it was $20. And I'm like, like, she's like, but it's only $20 mom. And I'm like, I don't, I don't actually care. Like, I'm just literally not going to spend, like, I don't on this 15,000, like you don't need 15,000 mm-hmm. stickers. Mm-hmm. She had a lemonade stand made $70 and bought her own damn <laughs> sticker set. And I'm like, okay, great. You're welcome to spend right. your money, <laughs> you know, but, and it, and, and I think we, there is a reckoning that comes with like, well, we, I could say yes to TV all the time, or I, we could have pizza every night, or I could buy you sticker sets every day, but like, what, what do I actually value? And how do I orient money in a way that also includes my values? Hmm. So I'm curious whether what's your view, if you have one, on why some coaches do struggle around money and asking for fee. Like for me, it it, it it's got much more simple. I think you can really, you really can um, create income doing what you love if other people love that too. Like the, like a happy, happy life is doing what you love. A prosperous life is doing what other people love. So if you find the intersection of that and then, <laughs> and then we're into the marketing of that, like you, you've got to ensure that you're not the best kept secret in your business kind of thing. So um, yeah, yeah I'm just wondering what's, what's, what's your view? Like is there, and there will be people who listen to this and, you know, spoiler alert, I don't think there is one who are looking for the, the, the secret bullet, if you like. The silver bullet. Yeah, like, shh, we're not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it's so interesting because I knew I was going to talk to you. So I was just sort of percolating, you know. I mean, I was actually thinking about that story where I heard I need to be in that room with those people, and then I was thinking about like just the thousands of hours of like showing up and grunt work and you know what does steve chandler say like the blue collar work of coaching yes yes. um and how i i really think again it's the intersection of those two things like the the willingness to follow the magical voices or for some people it might seem be more clear that it's an inner truth or a higher wisdom or you know like however people name that that there is in my experience, there is literal magic guiding us and we have to show up for it. And it, and part of showing up for it often requires things that don't seem easy or fun or don't work out. Like the, the in-person event that I lead now is on this land near Mount Shasta in Northern California that I first went to 16 years ago. And I, again, I had a magical voice experience. Um, hopefully I'm not alienating your listeners here, but but I sat in Sweat Lodge and a voice said, you're meant to bring people to this land. And I spent 16 years now, you know, but but really like I would say 14, just going like, okay, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to do my best. And the year after that, you know, I had this big vision and I was like, oh, I want to bring women here and blah, 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 blah. I tried to enroll a women's group to go there. Uh, I got two women. So I invited a man um, and there were four of us, you know, <laughs> like that was my first event after hearing the magical guidance. And so it's like, I could have said, well, that didn't work, you know, fuck this. And I was like, well, that didn't work. And I feel embarrassed. Uh, so what's next? And my partner at the time, you know, like we would sort of, we would bring people and sometimes it was a group of like seven and sometimes it was a group of 15 and sometimes it was more uh, like a, like a sort of a training. 
and then we started, it was more of a friends and a family as, as we started to have kids and we made it more like family oriented and truly every year for the last 16 years, I have brought people to that land and I have considered it my primary purpose that I just have to get them there. Hmm. And, and I led my very first, like what I would call actually successful women's event there in 2019. Actually, I think, so I think these things are important. Like the specifics are always different for each of us, but it was supposed to be in the fall of 2018 and there was a fire and I was literally calling people at the airport and telling them not to get on a plane to come because there, we couldn't have the event. Like that's how, you know, close to the event and, and mm -hmm. canceling it, refunding everybody's money and then re-enrolling a new event that happened in the spring of 2019 for spring of 2020, I was sold out like six months in advance and I had 25 women and I oh no, I had 40 women. And I was like, this is it. It's happening. And shelter in place went into effect. And we could, there was no way we could gather in May of 2020 in the United States. And so once again, like, but I was like, but it, we, you know, we can do it by September. Like this thing's going to pass, right? <laughs> you know, the, the, you, transfer, you know, transfer everybody to September, refund out, you know, everybody who wants to refund you like, 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 oh, what are these things? But to continue to just follow like, okay, but there's something, there's something that I will continue to do here. And had 25 women in 2021 and 30 women in 2022 and like, it's, it's circuitous, right? That, so that's what I would say. That's the silver bullet. The silver bullet is like, keep following the magic words and showing up when it doesn't work. Following the nudges. I mean, the thing that I'm really getting, listening to you as well, and indeed witnessing you, because unfortunately, unlike the listeners who only get to hear you, I get to see you as well on video. And there's, there's an energy around what you're what you're talking about I can really see that in you. And that's, that's, you can tell when somebody is connected to their heart to their soul like we can call that purpose or whatever label we want to put on it and i i just genuinely it just looks so true to me that if we're really really willing to allow allow ourselves to be connected to that and be guided follow the nudges that's it that it's going to happen like and and we can trust that or we can or we can suffer and and yes. instead of like trying to work it out and and you know when we talk about money there's a lot of people have a lot of fears and a whole bunch of thinking about it attaching their own meanings and self-worth to it and all that kind of stuff but what i see over and over again i talked to you know people like you we can go back through the previous whatever it is 90 odd episodes that um the coaches that are doing at least okay they are mm -hmm. working really in touch with the heart like there's a there's a what i what i would term like for me there's that um i don't really work with many other coaches two at a time that's it that's because i guess that's my my way of of giving back um i described that there are these five elements and the first one is inspiration the last one's actually income it's, in, it's inspiration action connection impact income Right. And, mm -hmm. and then in each time, if you're lost in any one of those, it's all about all about coming back to inspiration, which is really about coming back to the aliveness, which I've just seen you, you know, just witnessed you talking from that place. So even if somebody doesn't vibe with what you've said, it's like mm -hmm. how you said it, where you're coming from, like the, the work 
that you're up to, that to me is very clear that that's, that's your heart work. It's really cool to Thank see it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool to see it. Well, and I mean, what I think is important about that is like not pathologizing if, if I mean, you can talk about inspiration, you can talk about commitment. And I think there's sort of this, like people will say like, well, I guess you're just not committed to it. Like there's some moral obligation to be committed to things. And sometimes it's helpful to go like, yeah, you're right. I'm not. So then decide what you do want to be committed to. Like, it doesn't have to be coach. It doesn't have to be following your passion. It doesn't like you actually also get to choose what you're committed to. <laughs> um, and, and if you can find more inspiration in your life by having like a more stable job working for someone else, then I say like, do that and then follow your inspiration wherever you find it, you know, like there's no moral obligation to sort of like follow our passion or be committed to the things that other people think we should be committed to. I think one of, one of my previous guests, I'm pretty sure it was Mark Silverman, actually, I'm sure you know, yeah. and uh, he said when somebody asks him, what do I have to do if I want to become a coach? And like his first response is don't, which I, quite, I find that quite, quite <laughs> hilarious, really. But um, yeah, okay. Um, Kendra, motherhood. Um, what's like the relationship between motherhood and your work? Mm-hmm. Um, two things come up for me when you say that. I mean, in one sense, part of me wants to say like ev everything, mainly in the sense that for me, I would say so much of my life is, is shaped by motherhood and, um, and that my children, like my, who my children actually are, but also what it is to be in that, you know, dynamic relationship. It, it, it is so much of just how, like, like, I feel like I'm like a, like a stone, you know, in the ocean or a river or something being tumbled all the time. Like, they're like, oh, you think you're that? Like, you know, what about this? Like, <laughs> whether they say it out loud or not, that's sort of the, um, it's a lot of my experience of, of motherhood. And then there's something about the way that being a parent has um, limited me that has taught me the value of limits. Hmm. And um, I actually led a call just recently where, I, and it was a little awkward because I feel like I'm still teasing out the language, but I was like, I want us to stop calling things like limited beliefs, the way that it's used within our profession, um, because it makes it sound like it's the limiting part that's a problem. Hmm. And I would say we can ask ourselves, like, does this belief serve or is this a useful belief? Does this belief lead me towards more of what I want in life? Um, and sometimes the limiting beliefs actually guide us in the correct, like the things that limit us help guide us in the direction we want to go. And the idea that like everything is possible sometimes doesn't guide us in the way that actually we value most. So that's been, for me, that's been actually a very helpful orientation um, in my work. Mm, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. I don't know whether you remember this, um, I'll cut this out if you don't want me to share. Okay. Um, <laughs> I remember you 
talking we about. We should leave that part in, though, and then cut the, you know, it's just yeah, that they yeah. know that we kept it. Yeah, that we cut something <laughs> out. Okay. Yeah, that was great. Anyway, thanks for that. Let's move on. So, um, I think you you were at the time also like considering like getting some help and and a, and a coach. And you said to me, you uh, this has really struck with me because I don't know that I would I don't think I would say this now eight eight years later not six but eight years later oh my gosh um, you said something like you would want to work with a coach that is also a single mother and this is kind of touches on what you've just said right because and, and my reply to that was um, well maybe you might get more from working with somebody who has no idea what it's like to be a single mother because they wouldn't have all of those conditioned um, all of that conditioning that comes from that. We can call it experience as well, of course, like super valuable experience. Now, I don't think there's a right and wrong aspect to mm-hmm. that um, because I notice there's a lot of value in me being dumb when it comes to my clients, like I, I <laughs> of, of having no idea what it's like to be them. How, in fact, most of the time I want to come from that place that I've got no ideas what it's like so that I can follow my natural curiosity and, 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 and ease that out. But I've got quite a lot of experience of being human and, and depth of understanding from that. Um, I don't really have a question. If you want to speak to it, that's cool. I, just really, I guess I'm curious, like, what's your, what's your view about that? Like, would, would you still feel that that's a, a, a prerequisite? I love that you brought that up because I totally remember that moment and, I, and I'm totally fine to talk about it um, or to share it as well. And I've actually thought about it, not, you know, in those years since. And I think, I mean, I think that I, I just basically agree with you in the sense that, um, that it's not one or the other. Right. And that, but I think it's important for people to, because I really, I think there is something about that sometimes if we think we have a similar experience to someone, we can also have like similar uh, thoughts about it. We can be like, oh yeah, you're right. You really can't do that because da 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 you know, like we can, we can, we can get bought into the same stories and, um, and I think it can be so valuable to work with someone who's sort of like, like, I think sometimes it is very valuable, for instance, for my clients who do have children and they're like, well, you did it. So that does mean I can do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they're looking at say you or someone else and we're like, well, that's all fine and good for you, but you know, you're able to just da da da, you know, like because you have no responsibilities or they can make up that whatever their assumptions are about these things. And I don't know that I've actually have worked with anyone who's a single mother. I did, uh, I hired Vanessa Horn ah, yes, for a, yeah. a bit. I don't know if you remember her, but, I, but partly, and it partly was that I was like, okay, she has children. Um, and I can't remember, you know, where I went from there necessarily, but it definitely hasn't been a prerequisite. The sense that somebody needs to be female, that they need to be a mother, that they need to, but there is something where I'm also, I am looking for, um, I mean, where I do take a stance and I think I look for this, but I also, it's how I, in, I, I often will intend to guide people. If they're looking for a coach or a teacher or a, you know, any, anyone that they're kind of looking to is, do they have what you want in the area that you want it? And like in the way that you want it. So sometimes people will look at someone and say like, well, I want the amount of money they have. 
but they're not looking at the ecosystem of their life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like, do you want to work the way that they're working? Um, do you want the lifestyle that they live? Do you want to work as much as they're working? Do you, you know, like are, if they're, and again, like you, the person doesn't have to be married if you're married or you want to be married, but it's like, just recognize that it's a different life if this person has no intimate relationship or if they do and how that's going to interplay with your life or if they do have children or if they're, you know, just these, it's like, it's like, how is this going to intersect with what it is that you want if you're modeling yourself after someone who's living very differently? than you say you want to live. Mm, love it. Love it. Thank you for that. You even answered my, like, what was going to be my second question. What are you looking for? What would you be looking for? Thank you for that. So um, I guess two two final questions then, bearing in mind our time, gosh. Um, so what for you has probably been the toughest thing to um, handle during your time? Um, perhaps particularly over the, perhaps the last eight years, you know, since we, since we met in that room and mm -hmm. what do you, what do you get out of that? Mm. Um, I mean, I think that like a toughest is such a great word, but it really has been finding that, you know, whether it's the intersection or sort of like threading the needle between where it it is easy to kind of go either this or this right the polarization of like well if it's not easy then it's not right or like no i have to work really hard or you know that's just how it is or this sort of and to thread the needle between how do i how do i let it feel good like how do i let my life be the life that i want it to be every step of the way while also showing up for that which is challenging um, and I would say I'm still, I mean, in some way I say this with pride, like I would say I'm still doing that. Yeah. And, and just a, a short example I'll give is that like for years now, I had somebody who managed my mailing to my email list and my social media. And there were pieces that I still did and it still came from all my content and I edited everything, you know, but like I had somebody who did that and I paid them a fair bit of money for it. And I think often both the explicit trajectory that's sort of told to us and then the internal one that we take on is this idea like the more successful you are the more you offload the things that are not your quote zone of genius you know and so the more you can just do what you love and and actually just this year i i let her go and it wasn't it wasn't really that anything was a problem it just felt like the right time for me to put my fingers back in the pie so mm -hmm. to speak and so just this last week, like I've been, you know, I mean, I don't know how to describe it because I'm not grading my teeth and it's not, you know, but like I am struggling with writing like a marketing email sequence for a program that I offer. And it's not easy for me. And it's not, I don't love it when I sit down. And at the same time, I actually feel deeply like satisfied by doing this work and it feels correct to be putting my, like to, to be needing my own dough, if you will. Yeah. And so this is why I really like to talk about the spiral mm -hmm. is that it's sort of like, no, it shouldn't all be hard work. And like, it's not about do the hard work now so that you can have joy later, but neither is it that my life should be bliss and pleasure every single moment. And if it's not, then I guess the universe just doesn't, you know, 
it's something in the weave of those two things. And to me, that's the, it's the joy and it's the challenge. Um, and it's what back in the old days we used to call eating our own dog food. Right. And <laughs> what you remind me, I guess I would describe that as well. Like there's a, there's a very big difference um, between resistance and tension, mm. essentially. So, um, mm. like for me, I don't know that I was so clear on that um, previously. You know, you, but and in fact, there's this guy William Whitecloud. Um, follow, I, I follow him. Follow him for a few years, and and I've, uh, he's helped me really understand that tension's a good thing. Like the tension mm. is um, in nature. Tension always exists, and then there's a resolution, usually through the past of least resistance. Well, there mm. it is, like the, the least resistance. So tension again is is like contrast. Like there's the mm. there's the the not having, and I don't need to resist the not having, but I can allow the mm. tension of the not having and the wanting, and and that's what kind of creates the movement. That's what that that's essentially mm. the, the the creation comes from that tension. So uh, to me, it's listening to you. I've kind of heard you say that using very much more beautiful way of articulating it quite frankly much more human way of articulating it in that you know i've just heard yeah i, I get that you're not resisting i think there's much less resistance for you like you you can really accept those tougher times you can accept that there's tension here and there's stuff to deal with and it's not all happy and clappy um and to still be in love like for me to love someone something somewhere that's not the same as enjoyment. Like to me, love is the absence of resistance. You know, as I, yeah. as, as um, I can't remember if we're recording or not, but for me, um, without all our ideas about love, we would freely express love to each other. Mm. Like that would be very much more natural. Um, but because of our ideas about love, we, re we resist that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the same with anything. It's like, okay, I don't enjoy it, but I don't have to resist that that's, that that's here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm, I love, um, I love the, the, the distinction between resistance and tension. Yeah. It's really, thank you. It's really elegant. Yeah. So Kendra, I absolutely love this conversation. It was certainly worth uh, the wait. Um, my final question to you um, is for you, what is the purpose of your work? Mm. I think not to be too cliche, but especially the way that you've been talking I would say that it's love, um, but I would, you know, I would broaden that or add layers to it that it, there's something for me in it that is about like loving each moment. Um, and my, it's what I really want for all humans. And so that it's, and, and, and I think similar to some of it, it's like Mark Silverman saying, you know, do you want to become a coach? Like don't. And, 
there is, I think I have this very, um, like, I feel very clear that I will do that no matter what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And my hope, I feel, I do feel grateful that I get to do it in the way that I do. Um, it's fun for me. But that is my intention. And, and, my, and my hope is to continue to follow like whatever is the best way that I can, that, that I can spread that, 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 humans um, that humans have that experience, then that's the way I would like to do it. Yeah, beautiful. Well, if I remember, I'm probably going to paraphrase a little bit, but Mark did say after that. But if you if you do want to be a coach, then um, something like have it be an expression of your heart, and that's really what I'm hearing from you. Is that for you, your work really is that's that's an expression of love for you, an expression of your heart, and that that just comes across in spades. It really does. Kendra, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm moved just by being with you in this conversation. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's really a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Coaching Life podcast. I'd love to know what are you taking away from this conversation and how will you use that? Email us at coachinglife@philg.com. I've been having coaching conversations and coaching people for over 30 years and have been coaching professionally, being paid as a coach for over 16 years. If you'd like to explore having me in your corner and as your mentor in building your practice and your prosperous coaching life, my six month Coaching Life Unleashed program may be perfect for you. It has just four openings each year as I only work with two other coaches at a time. Drop me an email if you'd like more details or to set up a call to explore to see if this highly personalized intensive coaching and mentorship program will be a fit for you in creating and developing your prosperous coaching life. And finally, if you're enjoying these conversations, please share them with your friends and your community and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. It makes a huge difference in helping other people like you get an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. I wish you much love, prosperity, and joy.